Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, Eager Kebab. I'm Mariah Rose. Oh, I wish Cougar started with a K, because then I could have been Eager Cougar. Oh, Cougar Waffles. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we went over to your mother's house, and she wanted to make waffles, and our daughter called them Cougar Waffles. <laughs> your mom did not find that funny at all. I, I don't think she really got it. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, how you been? Pretty good. I have my first weekend off in like two months. I've been oh. commuting to another city uh, every single weekend to work on something. And so it's been five days work week and then uh, two days weekend. And I haven't had a single weekend off in two months. So I'm having a great week. I worked on new music. I've, I'm doing doing well. Yeah, we got a date because my family lives in the same town as us now. So they watched our children and yeah. we went out and we ate way too many tacos and tamales and, oh yeah we or found, enchiladas. <laughs> enchiladas we found a new restaurant we like whoa we went a little crazy but yeah that's good doing good how are you well i got to spend time with you um we have been alluding to the fact that we've got a lot going on lately uh but i think you just clearly stated just how crazy it's been and it's not been just two months it's been at least this whole year and a little bit longer so it has been absolutely delightful to have you around again, <laughs> just to be in your presence and bask in the glow of your sparkling spirit. Oh, thanks. I get that a lot from everybody, all all yeah. my many friends that I have. Yeah, I know. Well, even though we're both pretty busy, we did not stop uh, digging up the goods for laser graves. Can't stop, won't stop. This week, I'm... This was kind of a sleeper one where I was like, yeah, we should probably do that. And then the more we started to dig in, like usual, uh, you start to kind of fall in love with your subject. And then by the end, you're like, yeah, I can't wait to talk about this. So this week is a fun one. Although he is definitely known for stuff in the 90s and still currently, he kind of came into the hearts and imaginations of everybody in the 80s. And that is the one and only Warwick Davis. Yes. And we have to clear it out here because we want to say as americans warwick Mm -hmm. but he's british so he says warwick yeah that's true so just drop the w and you're probably more in in line with how he says his own name that's true but regardless we're still talking about him yep (laughs) so deal with it yep warwick (laughs) warwick davis well, this will be a fun one. We're going to talk about his life and times. Focus a lot on the 80s because this is an 80s podcast, but this will be very similar to our episodes like Weird Al. Uh, we did one on... Andre recently. Yeah, Andre the Giant. We've done a bunch. Yeah. So when we focus in, we talk about their whole lives, but really a focus on the 80s. And that's because this is an 80s podcast. So if you're just joining us and this is your first episode, mm-hmm. thank you for joining us. We do exclusively talk about the 80s. However, we also like to talk about personalities that kind of span many decades, but really maybe their their big moment that they, they came onto the national spotlight mm-hmm. was the 80s. Well, yeah, you got to give a little like platform. You got to give a full picture, you know, a beginning and a middle. And I guess ac- actually he's still in the middle because Warwick's still he's here. He's super young too and that's we'll get to that because yeah. he got his start as a child so yeah. I always assume because of his co-stars he's much older than he is but he's not at all. Yep. When was the first time you can remember him? 
Oh, well, I think probably the first place I ever saw him was the Chronicles of Narnia, the British version from the 80s. Oh, the TV series. Yes, I think so. And then the first time I made note of him as an actor would have been uh, Willow. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. What about you? Willow, for sure. I loved and I still still love Willow. Uh, I love that's my peak time of Val Kilmer. I think that... (sighs) Val Kilmer is a New Mexican like us. That's true. Let's find him and befriend him. Last uh, museum I worked at, we had a file on him because he had donated what? to the museum and I had to like... Did you peek in it? No, I didn't uh, peek at it. I'm a good worker. But... You are such a good worker. So Willow for me, for sure. I loved Willow growing up. I thought Willow was such a cool movie. Always been a fan of sword and sorcery and that kind of fantasy and adventure and Willow was just prime time for me. When that came out, I was a child and it was right there. Perfect timing. So that was my my first introduction to him. And then it was kind of a roundabout way that I realized, oh, okay, he's all these other characters too. And so, I don't know, I like that in a way that I knew him for, for his face, for him as an actor yeah. versus him just in costume or something like that first. Yeah. And we'll talk about that struggle that he's had throughout his career where at first you know he really was getting roles just in costumes with his face covered and then eventually people saw his ability to be an actor and started just casting him as an actor because he's a good actor because he's a really good actor and he has admitted you know we've listened to a lot of interviews with him and prep for this and he openly admits that that you know he had to learn how to act because he didn't go to school for it and stuff well yeah because like he started as a kid exactly so with that said, let's just jump into the life and times of, of Warwick Davis, because I think that a lot of people like us, we we love him, but we don't really know anything about him. Yeah, and that's actually something that is always kind of stressful to me. I don't know for you, but for me, I find it stressful when we look into somebody because I think I really like them. I don't. I don't want them to be ruined for me. Yeah. Like going to a concert, going backstage and meeting, you know, your idol and they're just like a drunk loser or something. I was really afraid to find out something bad, but I'm going to just put our dear listeners hearts at ease. He is even better than you think. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, He's a great guy. (laughs) Yeah. And had you ever met somebody famous that you were just like, oh man, I shouldn't have met them. I don't really think I've met famous people, although my brain is straight flashing to the Val Kilmer file right now, and I'm thinking it probably had his phone number in it, and we could have just called and been like, <laughs> hey, Val. Probably gotten fired instantly. I know. You're very professional. I would have called, and I said, is Val, I would say, is Val short for Valerie? That's all I need to know. Ooh, interesting question. <laughs> Burning question on the Laser Graves podcast. Anyway, what about you? Did you ever meet like a celebrity and that? Yeah. No. I've met quite a few celebrities and some of them have been like, okay, well, they were nice. Some of them have been like, whoa. I would say the peak for me mm-hmm. would be, uh, what would this be? Mid to late 90s. Uh, I was backstage at a Pantera and White Zombie concert. And there weren't a lot of people in the back. And I sat down next to R.I.P., the one and only Dimebag Daryl. Okay. And it was, no joke, just the two of us hanging out at a table talking in this weird space. And we're getting to talk, and I'm a teenager, and... I wasn't like a massive Pantera fan, but it's still at the same time. It's the 90s and Pantera were huge. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. Sure. 
Then he starts telling me all these stories, and I don't know if he was trying to impress me. I I can tell you, though, as a teenage boy, I was already not impressed, but he started telling me about how they were banned from Las Vegas for sniffing uh, coke off of, you know, sex workers and stuff like that. It was really, in hindsight, it was uh, kind of funny because it's a classic Dimebag Daryl. Like, that's what you would expect. But I was caught off guard as a teenage boy. You're just a little boy. Yeah, I was like, okay. So for all you Pantera fans out there, I can tell you from experience, they definitely walked the walk and talked the talk. They, <laughs> that was their life. And, and uh, Dimebag lived that to the fullest. So oh, okay. it's not to say that I had like a, a you know lesser image of him. It was just more like it validated what I thought. Yep, that's, that's definitely the type of person I thought he was. As expected, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to, to Warwick. He, all the, the interviews that we listened to, he definitely came across as being very sincere, very genuine. Yeah. Not phony, not arrogant. Just knows his kind of place in life and extremely well-spoken. I really liked listening to interviews with him. He's got a great voice, his delivery. Mm-hmm. Like the way he speaks and the way he formulates his thoughts, you can tell. is really well-spoken, but you made the comment, too, that it's because he gets interviewed a lot, and you can you can tell that as well. It seems as though he is asked a lot of the same questions, but he has had time then to kind of perfect his answer, and I appreciate that because he's given thought to it. And we'll kind of talk about that a little later, I think. But let's, let's learn about young Warwick. So he was born in England in 1970. Okay. Well, so- that's... He's really young, actually. He is. I I guess, like you, I thought he was much older than he is because he's been famous for so very long. Yeah. But really, he just got started very young. So he was born in 1970, and he was born with a rare form of dwarfism. So the reason that he looks different than perhaps other dwarfs is because of this. This is called... And I'm going to give it my best effort. Hey, we're all friends here. We're all supportive. So it's called spondyloepiphyseal dysplasia congenita. And it's called SED for short. And we're going to stick with that because I don't know if I got it right, but it feels good. You know what? You said it with confidence. I believe in you. Good job. Okay. So this is actually a genetic form of dwarfism, which I believe all forms of dwarfism are genetic. But he's the first in his family to exhibit it. So Right, because his parents weren't shorter. They were just normal average height. Yeah, nobody in his family is a little person. Okay. So that's really interesting. But both of his parents are just average height. And it was originally believed that he would not live past his teen years because... They just didn't know what to expect, I think, for him. And I think science at the time and medical science maybe didn't understand the quality of life he could actually have. In interviews I've read and heard, it sounds like he had actually a pretty lovely childhood. Yeah, he speaks very fondly of his upbringing. Yeah, uh, well, fairly normal. Obviously, he is a little person, so that would, of course, color his whole life. But he, in interviews, is like, I don't have another perspective because that's my whole life. So 
the way he talks about it, he talks about dreaming of being a police officer as a young boy. He loved Star Wars. He liked riding his bike. He was just an, a normal yeah, little boy. Yeah, it turns out he was like hardcore into BMX biking, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah, it's Like really he sweet. just spent all his time. I guess it's awesome to me because I think of uh, Flash Forward to Leprechaun. Oh. And I'm like, I wonder if he wrote that scene in. But okay. Anyway. Getting off subject. But from what I kind of gathered is the real gift is that he was just born with a really positive attitude. He does seem overall like a generally positive dude. Yeah. Both through his struggles and he's had plenty and his successes of which he has had ample. So he just kind of is like, it's all good. Yeah. I don't know if you came across the parenting style, like approach that, that he talked about with how his parents treated him. It, well, I, I think they just kind of told him to have a good attitude and that it was, you know, he was in charge of his own fate. Yeah, he said, well, one of the things that, that they did, things like this that really helped form him was if he needed help getting something off the shelf, they would tell him, figure out how to get it. Yeah. Like they didn't just kind of cater to his size. And he said that's something that early on he just learned how to deal with was to not oh, just yeah. sit around asking people to do stuff for him, but to, to figure out how to do it himself. Absolutely. So that he could live a deeply independent life. And I think that comes across in his professionalism as he seems very much in charge of his own career, not waiting around for people to like open doors for him. Absolutely. So I don't want to say that he had a normal childhood considering that he has such a rare form of dwarfism that did come with a lot of other medical issues, you know, that to the to the point that they really thought he would die quite young. And I'm sure he had to have at least caught, a, caught wind of that, although he never speaks of it. Yeah. Um, but in in spite of all of that, he, he does seem to have had kind of a magical and lovely childhood. Obviously, he also is facing all of the challenges of just being a little person in a world that caters to people of a certain size. Mm-hmm. So he, like you said, had to learn how to do things for himself. But those kind of frustrations, like I don't think most people have the... I don't know, the right attitude to face that and just be like, okay, well, whatever, I'm going to deal with that and move forward. His attitude about his life all around is phenomenal. And I'd say that's like the golden thread that goes through everything that I have read about this man. Yeah, and his just the way he conveys himself to others is very much like down to earth, I guess I would say that, considering all of his success. And I really appreciate that um i think most people are on their best attitude when they're being interviewed sure but i think consistently it comes across as sincere with him and that's what makes me happy because you're right we start digging into these people sometimes it gets a little dicey and with him i kind of i believe it i believe he truly is just a pretty down-to-earth dude he honestly seems to have a pretty solid moral compass just from like the little asides that he's made in all of these interviews when people are trying to like get the dirt on him. I think he's pretty darn squeaky clean. I didn't find any dirt. I didn't want to. But. I don't care. Yeah, I, I think that's what's so weird is everybody's like desperate for it, especially if you're just a pretty functional, like famous person. Yeah. Everybody's like sniffing around waiting for some. There's got to be a flaw somewhere. And maybe he does have minor ones, but it doesn't matter. Overall, he's just living his life. And yeah. I think it's really hard for people to just accept that. Well, I think we see so much with extreme fantasy yeah, especially here in the US. Scandal mm-hmm. tells a good story. It's true, but overall as far as his youth goes, he had um I think a lot of the normal experiences of childhood until 
He was about maybe 11. Yeah, 11. Keep that in mind. He was very young. He was only two foot 11 at this point. And this is the moment that everything changes for his life. So up until this point, he's a totally normal kid where he's just riding his BMX around. He's playing with his Star Wars toys because that he was the, the perfect age for that. Yeah. Going to school, watching movies. His grandmother, and this is a famous account, so some of you may know this. If, if you know anything about him, this may be the thing that you know. His grandmother was listening to the radio. And on the radio came an advertisement for George Lucas's productions that they were going to be shooting a new Star Wars movie Mm -hmm. and that they were looking for shorter people. I think they had to be four foot and under uh, to be extras in the new Star Wars movie. Well, his grandmother, knowing that not only was he that height, he was shorter than that, but he was also a massive Star Wars fan, decided to let his mother know. And his mother was like, okay, awesome. He seems excited about this. They go, they contact George Lucas Productions, and they say, yeah, we're already totally overwhelmed with responses. Apparently, this was, you know, easier than we thought. Sure, it's Star Wars. (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks. And Warwick, this goes back to saying how you could tell when he speaks, he's well-versed in telling stories because he's been asked the same stories over and over because... There were a couple interviews where it was verbatim, like word for word, he's telling the exact same mm-hmm. story. And this was one of them was he describes it as he doesn't know what his mother said to the producers, but he got a call back and went in, didn't even have to audition. They just looked at him and said, great, go to a costume, get outfitted yeah, and put on this Ewok costume because he was being cast as one of the many extras as an Ewok. Mm-hmm. And... Here you are. You're 11 years old. You had no aspirations to be an actor in life. You no. had no background or training or anything like that. Your grandma just knew that you were a fan. And he said good that grandma. the reason... Good old grandma coming through. He said the reason why he wanted to be in it was not to be an actor, but to meet Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia. Because <gasps> he was so such sweet. a little geek. You know, yeah. he's a little 11-year-old boy playing with these toys. So he goes in... By all accounts, and this is universal, mm-hmm. all the cast and crew just like fall in love with him because he's really funny, he's charming, he's really easygoing, and he just kind of made himself known very quickly. I bet he was precocious. He's so like happy-go-lucky, he's got such a great attitude, he's interesting. Yeah. I can see where you'd just be like, oh, I love Warwick. Yeah, and keep in mind, there were tons of extras, so it's sure. not like he was the only one on there, but something right. about him stood out, and what ended up happening was Kenny Baker, who everybody would know as R2-D2, was supposed to be Wicked, the the you know head, mm-hmm. the, the most famous Ewok that we think of, the real cute one. But what happened was Kenny got sick and he couldn't do it. So they needed a replacement. And George Lucas personally turned to Warwick and said, you know, I think you're our guy. And so wow. without any idea this was going to happen, he went from just being a random extra in the background as an Ewok uh-huh. to being the Ewok of Star Wars, yeah. of Return of the Jedi, which is when you put that into perspective as, a, as an 11 year old boy. Oh, that's bonkers. That's totally crazy 
And he said not only was that experience shocking, but also everybody was just so supportive of this. They were like, yeah, awesome. This is going to be fun. Oh, man. Imagine his clout at school, like junior high to be like, guess what? Well, uh, in an interview I listened to, they asked him about that. They said, so were you bragging like left and right to all your friends? And he said, not at all. He totally played it down and he didn't want to really mention it because sure i think that's just kind of how he was but at the same time oh of course it it got around especially oh my gosh what i do like are some of the little stories that go along with this one of them being a a famous account that when mark hamill who plays luke skywalker Mm -hmm. found out that he was such a huge star wars fan he and george lucas kind of schemed together to find all the missing toys that he didn't have yet for the Star Wars figures, Aww. including the Darth Vader carrying case and everything, and get them for him while he was on set. And there's a photo I found, I sent this to you earlier, yes. of him as an 11-year-old boy with the Darth Vader thing and all the Star Wars toys. That's and I just so love, sweet. like, keep that in mind. He was just a little kid on set. Yeah. Like, living out this awesome dream. So needless to say, this is life-changing and this wasn't a one-time thing. He really fell into this role and would continue to do the Wicket role for, for years. Even on the set of Return of the Jedi, there was a mockumentary shot that never made it. It got cut, but there okay. is footage that survives, and I've seen some of it on YouTube. And it was called Return of the Ewok. And okay. it's Warwick basically as himself, but it's it's all mockumentary, him trying to like get the role and then in costume and then he's being chased by Darth Vader and all that. It's really funny. And I was watching it. It was really funny. I would say the funniest thing is the comment section in YouTube. Almost everybody was like, and somehow this is more entertaining than all the prequels, but (laughs) it's really funny. But so he's already kind of getting special treatment with this character that they're seeing that there's this potential for this character to keep going. I can tell you firsthand, because this was prime time for me, Return of the Jedi was the film. Mm -hmm. I loved the Ewoks as a little boy. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were awesome. So he immediately got to follow up the success of Return of the Jedi in 1984 with two TV movies, which you may or may not remember. Ewok Adventure, and then in 85, Ewok, The Battle for Endor. So he's like, he's doing well Mm -hmm. as far as that role is concerned. And this is interesting because, as I said, not only will he get this role, but he is going to be threaded into the Star Wars universe more than almost any other character involved. Yeah. I mean, maybe Carrie Fisher to a degree, but he, no, not even that much. Like, he's almost in every single one. He's in, what is it? Well, I guess we'll get to it. But we'll get to all of yeah. them. But man, he's really he made himself, you know, part of that whole world and yeah. universe. Which is really cool, but it all started at age 11. Oh, my goodness. He did have a minor, before we go on to his other stuff, he did have a minor part right after that in Labyrinth. And I don't think a lot of people knew this because he was still in costume. He got to work with David Bowie, who he talked about was like super cool on set. He said he was really funny, really laid back, no Mm -hmm. attitude. But he said it was amazing experience. He's worked with everybody. He really has worked with everybody. But he was one of the goblins in the Goblin Corps in Labyrinth. <gasps> what? Yeah, and I think that's really cool that he got to kind of follow that up. Cool. Did he get to meet Jennifer Connelly? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, he worked Jeez. with them all. So, I mean, that's back to back right there. You're already by 86, you know, 87. You're doing pretty well. Also, why have we not covered Labyrinth? That was our very first <gasps> episode. Oh, 
Yeah. It got scrapped. I totally, totally forgot. Little sidestep, but when we first started Laser Graves, we were given the advice to record a few episodes to kind of work out the kinks mm-hmm. and figure out if you actually want to do it. And our very, very first episode was Labyrinth. And why, we Why did we start so big? We started way too big and way too intense. Like we got really in the weeds of all the details. And by the time we were done, like it was all facts and no fun. Yeah, I remember just thinking, why is this in my face and not understanding how to even talk into a microphone? Yeah, we definitely had to work it out. So we scrapped that. <laughs> and then we did a second first episode, which was House 2. Oh, yeah. One of my all-time favorite <laughs> movies. And that one, we went the opposite direction and did like hardly any facts. And it was just all goofy. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, man, we are just missing the mark entirely. So we scrapped that as well. And both of those have never seen the light of day, but we should re-record them at yeah. some point. And our first episode ended up being Night of the Comet, so, which right. I was much happier with. Yeah, I haven't listened to it in like two years. Oh, but... I haven't. And I won't. But uh, people have been polite and not said it sucked. So I'm just assuming that it wasn't too bad. Yeah, well, you're here listening. So thanks. Anyway, so he followed up Star Wars with Labyrinth. I mean, like as a child of the 80s. Good grief. This dude's like already like a rock star. And let's follow that up in 1987 with Willow. Oh, Good sweet grief. Willow. So, in 1987, George Lucas, who by now had worked with Warwick a great deal, he approached him to discuss a film idea. And he'd actually floated the idea a few years earlier, but he had been kind of vague and basically said he had a film in mind for Warwick as the lead, but basically, let's, let's you know, wait on it till you're older. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's clear because Willow is not like for a little boy, it's for an adult. He was still really young on the set of Willow. Yes. So at the age of 17, he went into a meeting and met with George Lucas and Ron Howard to talk about this role, which had been written for him. Imagine that you've only George Lucas only wrote done a film like two things, and you've already got George Lucas writing a lead role for you. Uh, I was so surprised when I was doing my initial research to learn that this was his first role without a costume or makeup. Or, I mean, obviously as a costume, but without his face covered. Yeah, that must have been a. I wonder if that was pretty intimidating for him. Yeah, because now he has to act with his face and not just his body. Um, but this is it. He's on the poster. He's there. He is the main character in this film. That's a lot of confidence yes. in him because it's one thing to say, I like having you around on film set, put on this, you know, headpiece or something like that. It's another to say, you're the lead and here's all the speaking lines and everything else. Yeah. And you got to carry this film, which I... I was shocked to find out that he did not have a background in acting. Yep. Because I haven't watched Willow in a long time, so hopefully it still holds up. But growing up, I never once thought like, oh, this guy's a bad actor. I just thought, wow, Willow's awesome. He seemed actually like quite a mature actor. And it's been a couple years since I've seen it as well. But I really thought that he was in his like maybe mid to late 20s in this film. I thought for sure. I totally mm-hmm. thought he was in his like mid 20s. He seems like he's got world experience or life experience. Uh, just, I don't know. He plays that role quite well. Quite well. And I really want to watch Willow now. Well, I actually didn't watch it because I thought we should cover it at some point. So I'll add it to our list. Yeah, let's do that. That would be fun. But 
The film was amazing, obviously, and it had an extraordinarily large casting call for little people. Mm. Uh, they hired over 200 actors for this film. Jeez. Little people actors, specifically. In fact, the woman that he would later marry and his future father-in-law were both in this film. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know any of that. Yes, and Warwick's sister and I think Ron Howard's wife are also in the film. But I will say that in one of these uh, British talk shows, the host was trying to get the dirt on him because they were like, I heard that in that village, like the village in Willow, that everybody was like, going a little bit nuts in the camp what do you mean like all the little people were hooking up oh like it was just a giant party yep and i think it was and warwick (laughs) is like i heard about it but i was just in my trailer and the guy was like but were you really and he was like no 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 (laughs) very clearly was not i was 17 so i don't i really truly think he was it's just not his style but it was a full party happening oh, in wow. the village. So yeah. You know what? You mentioned his sister. That reminds me. I I heard something funny that he said, which was the success of Star Wars. He uh-huh. used some of his money to buy a, a camera because okay. he wanted to be a director. And Aww. he started shooting this true story. And to our listeners, and especially a couple of my personal friends, they'll love this. He made shot on video with a camcorder horror movies. <gasps> As a teenager, and he would make his sister just be the lead, and they were just shooting, like, slasher movies and stuff. Cute! I know, and I'm like, what? Warwick Davis did, like, shot on video horror in the 80s? Oh, he's pretty <laughs> Please cool. tell me some of those survived. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But the film did well. It didn't do great because it was up against Crocodile Dundee. Two, I think. It really didn't do well at all. It was well, kind it, of just mediocre and just It didn't bomb. No, but it definitely grew way o- over the years it definitely grew to become a cult film. Yeah, I'll, and I think George Lucas had he said he wanted it to be like as good as E.T., like as successful as E.T., but it wasn't. And he had had plans I think to expand but instead did it in print when it didn't succeed as well as he had thought. But it wasn't a bomb by any means. Like, it, it did well and obviously grew over time. Yeah, I would say age has been kind to it. I think when people think about Willow now, they think it's a positive light. And it's not like, oh, yeah, that giant flop or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Warwick's takeaway from it was really positive. I mean, he did great. It was his first leading role. He speaks highly of Val Kilmer. And they're still friends to this day. Yeah, it's great. So I think it was a good, like, I don't know, first step into him being himself instead of somebody else. I mean, obviously he played a different character, but for us to see Warwick as a human being and not like an alien. Well, and that really shifted the entire, you know, focus of his career too, from just being these kind of character actors that could just put on a costume real quick and Mm -hmm. be more of an extra to having the lead and and being able to, to act. One thing I was surprised about with him You know, when we cover a lot of these larger than life figures and you go on IMDb and their film credits are, you know, like 300 credits or something like that, he only has 89 actor credits, but he has 124 self credits, 
because he in the 90s and onward was appearing on game shows and all that. We'll get to that. But I was like blown away that he only had 89 credits as an actor. That really surprised me. And it's true when you look at his time in the 80s, when I think of of him initially, I think, oh, yeah, the 80s. He really only had Star Wars and the films that went with Star Wars, you know, the TV specials and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. A brief thing in in Labyrinth, like we discussed. Then he had Willow, which Mm -hmm. was the big one. Well, you also have to, before you continue, think about the fact that he was in high school. Yeah, he was still a teenager. He was going, well, whatever England calls high school. He was doing that, like finishing his education. So for him, I think, I think, or I think Willow was filmed in New Zealand. Okay. So it was filmed out of the country. And for that, like to take a kid out of their school and take them to another country for however long it took to film. That's huge. So I think to just the reason why, when you wonder why did he only do so few things, he was a kid. He was a, a still a young child finishing his education. Yeah, but he still had one big one up his sleeve for the for the 80s to go out on a bang. And that was, as you mentioned earlier, the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. He was in two. He was in what well, was like a combined Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yeah. And then Silver Chair. He was Reaper Cheap for both. And then he was also like an owl in the Silver Chair or something, yeah. too. I think that that's interesting. That's a reoccurring theme as well in his career is that he often, when he's in a film, will like play a couple different <laughs> roles. Yeah. But he was Reaper Cheap. And it, I don't know our listeners out there, but in our household, we're massive fans of the Chronicles of Narnia. And yes, they went on to have these big films that we'll talk about later. But in the late 80s, 89 to 90, there was this, you know, British TV series adaptation of the films. And we had them. Yeah. I was charmed by them. They are charming. They remind me of the same quality of like The Worst Witch. Where, Yes. yes, of course, it's super low budget effects and cheesy, but they're also just so fun to watch. Yeah. I really like the Chronicles of Narnia TV series from the late 80s. <laughs> and I'm not like being ironic. Like I actually like them. <laughs> so when people were all jazzed about the new ones, I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, you didn't have to it's remake fine. them. fine. We like Tilda Swinton, whatever. Yeah. So that's how he kind of went out on the 80s. And although we're an 80s podcast, there's no way we want to just stop there. We want to keep talking about it. Yeah. Maybe not as in depth, but... Bring it up really, today. where he hits his stride with fame and fortune is from here forward. It's he'll always, you know, link Wicket with his with his success, and that'll always be his, his, his special thing. Yeah, and I do like that. That will be what he's known for. It was something based in the '80s where he got his start. Mm-hmm. But going right into the '90s, uh, he wastes no time, and I think you hit it right there on the head by saying. Now he's a young man. Now he's an adult. Yeah. And he can really pursue acting as a full-time job. Yeah. He had many f- fun projects that he worked on, but uh, because we're Laser Graves, the one in, the one we are like obsessed with and have to talk about, when I think of him, even more than Willow, even more than uh, an Ewok, it's Leprechaun, <laughs> because for me, Warwick Davis will always be the Leprechaun. I think it's his best role. He cracks me up. Oh, He's, yeah. His timing is hilarious. And this will 
I didn't know this, but going forward in his career, comedy is very important. Yeah. And I always thought that his one-liners, which a lot of them were ad-libbed and stuff like that, in Leprechaun, I always thought they were funny because they were so cheesy. Yeah. But I felt like they landed really well. They were intentionally cheesy. Exactly. But I felt like he had a grasp on that. Like, he knew how to play it. And Mm -hmm. a lot of films came out around the Leprechaun era, you know, like Rumpelstiltskin and all these other ones that... Try and kind of oh, yeah. play on that same skin. notion, and they just fall flat. Yeah. And I think it's because you don't have the the know how that that Warwick did yeah. of comic timing. Yes, and yes, the the Leprechaun movies are just can't be fun, but they are the perfect formula. Part one will always be my favorite because that's the one that I saw first, and I just fell in love with. Yep. Even if Jennifer Aniston doesn't want to admit that it's awesome. Oh, hold on. I was watching him on a talk show talk about this. And he was like, ugh, and Jennifer Aniston won't have anything to do with it. Like in every <laughs> interview. But the talk show host was like, actually. And he played a scene of uh, Warwick in the wheelchair. You know how he pretends to be like the grandpa or something. And then he turns around and he chases her in the wheelchair. But they played it with the Friends theme song. <laughs> It was so funny. <laughs> well, he fully embraced it. He's never shied away from it. No. And he went on to do what, like five sequels or something like that. Of them. I Total. just sold the entire set. I've had all the leprechauns on VHS. So there's Leprechaun one through four, four being in space. <laughs> then you've got Leprechaun <laughs> in the hood. You've got Leprechaun back to the hood. So I mean, it's really fun. They're they're great. What ended up happening was he bowed out when they just rebooted it recently. Okay. But I had them all on on VHS. They take up a lot of space. And the other day I came across a really nice Blu-ray box set that is just a very thin, tiny single case. Uh And all the films are on that one set. And I was like, ooh. So I kept part one because I have to keep part one. But I did sell the rest. And and, uh, I don't feel too bad about it. But I will always love the Leprechaun franchise. I just watched uh, Leprechaun in the Hood and Back to the Hood (laughs) back to back like two weeks ago, and they're still funny to me. They are charming in the weirdest possible way. Yeah, so he did Leprechaun was the big one. We had to get that out of the way. But he also did Merlin. He did, do you remember the Tenth Kingdom? That was pretty cool. He was in that. But he also kept in the Star Wars world like we were talking about. He did Phantom Menace. In addition to other films that are going to come up, where he really gets his other big claim to fame. Oh, just a little thing. Little thing is going to be a franchise known as Harry Potter. (laughs) Well, yeah. So he is Professor Flitwick, um, (laughs) which is... It's fun because, you know, we know him in our 80s way. Our children got super into Harry Potter. And so when I was doing my research, they're like, who's that? And I was like, it's Professor Flitwick. And it blew their minds. So, you know, he he did that whole series. I'm sure that was a nice paycheck. But it was also a huge chunk of his life. But he had children. And we'll get to his family here in a little bit. Um, and his daughter, I think it was for her like 13th birthday, how awkward, but 
he had the whole like cast saying happy birthday to her. Can you imagine? Yeah, that's that? cute. He played a few roles in the Harry Potter franchise. Like, yeah, that was the the standout one. Yeah. But he was also like a bank teller, like a goblin teller, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, interesting about the professor role is he said that that role originated, even though it's a character from the book, but the the direction that he took it was when he was a kid experimenting with his own films, he had a character like that that was a mad scientist kind of cooking up with all these potions and stuff like that, that he always wanted to do something with. So when he got to take on the role as the professor, he really just adapted it to this character that he had always had with him. And he said it was like, finally, he got to use it for some reason. Nice. And I thought that was pretty funny. He made that joke, too, about saying they had to end the franchise because they ran out of British actors. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which, fair enough. Well, beyond Harry Potter, another thing that he did that we are definitely fans of now, for sure, after our research, was a mockumentary series with Ricky Gervais called Life's Too Short. Yep. Which he basically plays a version of himself. I mean, he uses his real name and there's real actors that come in with their real names, but it's all mockumentary. It's like Larry David. It's very much. Or it's like Spinal Tap in a way, too. Mm -hmm. It's so incredibly funny. It's so good. It's It's on HBO. And he plays pretty close to... He plays... He's very open about, I was in Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. But he's like awful. Yeah, he's like a very selfish person who's going through a divorce and wants all the roles for himself, but he runs a business for, what is it, for, what's the name, Dwarf something? I don't remember. But It's offensive. But he basically just takes all the good roles for himself. (laughs) But he's so funny. And this gets to what his true passion, when he talks about his favorite movies and what he loves to do, it's comedy. Yeah. And I think that that's really funny because he has amazing comic timing actually that's an important point because when we first started researching this you were or i read that he was like into comedy and that he considered himself to be a comic actor and i didn't i wasn't up to date with his most current work and i was like what yeah, I um, thought he was talking about like Leprechaun. I'm like, dude, that's not really. I mean, it's, co- it's comedy, but I wouldn't maybe call yourself a comedian. But oh my goodness, yeah, he's so funny. Yeah, life's so too funny. short is really funny. There's a scene where he's talking about being a wicket <laughs> and how he said George Lucas was wasting his beautiful face by putting a mask over it. <laughs> And then he clearly figured out that he that was a problem and gave him immediately gave him the role of of Willow so he could show off his face like his his just his timing is really funny. If you're a fan of that mockumentary, like if you like Christopher Christopher Guest films like Waiting for Goffman or yeah. you know anything like that, this is right up that alley. It's really well done. So yes. and that really that was a, a huge success for him too. So yes. he, this is an important thing to know if you're wondering about his career is he has never slowed down. Like no. he has never been out of work. He's never struggled to find work. And there's this whole other side of him that isn't in film, but in TV where he is like talk show hosts and on game shows and, you know, appears to talk in front of people all the time. And it's he just works like, hard. he is just constantly working. He's so busy. Yeah. One concern I had when when it was kind of pitched that we should cover him mm-hmm. 
was the other s- f- people that we've covered have very known, colorful stories. Yeah. And I was afraid that there was nothing about him that would stand out and it'd be boring. Now, maybe it is boring to you listeners, but I find it fascinating that he is just like this awesome, like hardworking, well-adjusted actor. Yeah. That you don't need you don't need a scandal sometimes to just appreciate somebody's body of work and to appreciate their contribution to the arts. Well, there is a little scandal in that interview you and I listened to. He talked about how he's real bad with facial recognition. <laughs> oh yeah, that was funny. And he was talking to this woman, and he was like, "I don't, I didn't know who she was, but I talked to her for like ten minutes." And he he kind of emphasized how uh you know when you're well known to other people it's hard to tell who you actually know and people who just recognize you from your work and so he talked to this woman kind of thinking she was just some rando and his wife was like you didn't know who that was (laughs) and he's like no who was it and it was emma thompson and the worst part is they worked together on harry potter And he just didn't recognize her, which is scandalous. Which is funny because it reminds me of the pilot episode of Life's Too Short when Liam Neeson comes in and and Warwick (laughs) says, you remember we we worked together on The Phantom Menace. I mean, my scene was cut and uh, Liam just goes, nope. Or he just says like, okay, and keeps talking. It's so funny. So I think that 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 maybe is a play on that real life experience. (laughs) Yeah, but he's done really well for himself. He was also like in Spamalot, you know, the Monty Python thing in London. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just done so well. He was in Rogue One. He was in the Han Solo movie. Mm-hmm. He's been in a bunch of the newer ones. He's just constantly working, constantly weaving himself into all this stuff. He has like had to work for the roles he's got. And he's also had to overcome a lot of like personal tragedy. And when you dig into somebody's life, even though it's private and will be very respectful of this. Yes. Uh, he has not kind of just had an easy go of it. He's had a rough go of it, too, and managed to maintain a very positive attitude yes. through all of it. To get to that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he's married and they, he met his first wife on the set of Willow. She also has a form of dwarfism. But a little bit about dwarfism that is relevant to their life is that Warwick, as I said earlier, has SED because uh, I'm not going to even try and pronounce that again. <laughs> and his wife has the more like common form of dwarf- dwarfism. I guess it's more than 70% of dwarfism is this type. And it's called achondroplasia. So that's like the more when you think of somebody having dwarfism, that's that's it. Um, but both of these are genetic. And this is relevant because as a couple, they wanted to start their family And they had uh, some miscarriages, but they also had two infants die. So, yeah, this is really tragic when I I didn't know this about him. And it's been brought up in some of the interviews and he's very candid about it. But you can tell, you know, also you got to gloss over it a little bit. But it's pretty rough. And to think that he was still acting through this time. But uh, they're trying to make a family and they're trying to overcome the odds yeah and the problem here is that the the babies inherited both forms of dwarfism both his and hers which i guess that combo is just fatal yeah 
So the first child, and I'm not going to name their children. That seems like an invasion. But the first one died um, while his wife was pregnant. And the second baby died nine days after it was born. And Warwick actually spoke kind of candidly about this when he he was talking about how he hopes that his uh, second son's death actually was helpful to scientific research because they didn't even think it was possible to live nine days. And I'm not going to talk about it. They've actually both spoken about the process and it's like devastating and heart-wrenching but it's I think so important when you listen to him talk and see him and realize the things he's dealt with in his life and his positive attitude it's just like holy smokes okay so it really is about our mindset in how we move forward so they came through some awful stuff miscarriages aside because they also had those but they did after a time have two children two successful pregnancies they inherited sed and not um his wife's form of dwarfism so both of their children are also little people i also wanted to say or really emphasize that as they both spoke about this their compassion and their empathy like hit me like right in my gut and I wanted to like weep openly just reading their experience and their their like loving hearts that come out of this and how they move it forward instead of wallowing in you know self-pity for their loss and I wanted to say he has spoken a bit about how his SED continues to impact his physical health uh things like dislocated hips I don't know. I couldn't find out for sure, but I think they're just kind of permanently dislocated. Uh, I'm not quite sure how that works for him as uh, I have family who have dislocated hips and it's incredibly painful and requires surgery. I'm not, I just couldn't find his medical information, nor is it my business, but he also has incredibly painful knee problems and he is at risk for something for retinal detachment. I guess that's part of part of his dwarfism but he has to like be aware of the signs of that because that could be devastating to him yeah so those are all things that he's just got on his plate i don't know what's on your plate (laughs) but that's like a lot yeah like keep that in mind as he's just going through his day-to-day like working still and doing his job he also has started little people uk to kind of make himself a a platform or use his fame as a platform to lift up others and advocate for little people in the UK, which is amazing. And he's also written a book like he doesn't have enough going on. He wrote a a biography called Size Matters Not, which he says in Yoda's voice. (laughs) I didn't know about Little People UK, but I do know his his main company is called Willow Management. And he started that with his father-in-law, who you said he met on the set of Willow. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose, which is actually parodied in Life's Too Short, but in real life he does this, is to uh, find roles for little people that maybe aren't getting roles themselves. And it's been incredibly successful Like, I read somewhere that just in one Harry Potter movie alone, he got 200 people, like, work on the set. Whoa. And 
so he's been doing that too like this major advocate for getting them to have work which i found funny when we were watching life is too short because in real life he's doing this he runs a company to try and get people jobs but in in the mockumentary he does the same thing but then takes all the good work when they get the job no little people uk is a little different though because that's more family focused okay no this one's just strictly for like the acting business and then i know recently he he also did so i think that's for five feet and under is for the actor roles to just try and get them more representation and then recently he expanded it to seven feet and over oh because he said he recognized this recurring theme that there was a similarity where they were getting typecast absolutely and they weren't being able to just get roles that weren't based around their height being part of their role oh that's very interesting but also true yeah so Needless to say, he's he's busy. He's a busy guy. and um, I can't even imagine that level of busy. And it's been really interesting to learn about him. There's no, like, crazy, crazy stories. He's just an interesting dude that's managed to, like, weave his way through pop culture and oh, be a part so of, like, major, major movies, but not let it go to his head and just be, like, this totally down-to-earth dude. And He does seem very down-to-earth. Very down-to-earth. And I, I, I would say watch Life's Too Short. I, I feel like that is, although we love him for his big roles or Leprechaun or something like that, I feel like that's where his personality really shines through. It's He's just so a funny, funny. guy. Yeah. So funny. So... That's what we have this week. A little different. Uh, I thought it was really fun, though, to, oh, to go so through this journey. so great to learn about him. And if you, for some reason, have no clue who he is and have not ever watched Willow or something like that, definitely check it out. Yeah, because we're obviously going to cover it at some point in Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what we got for you this week. I uh, hope you had had fun listening. As always, if you want to follow us, we're on Instagram at Lasergraves. You can also check out all of our back episodes at Lasergraves.com. If you really like what we're doing, and to all of our patrons, thank you so much. We appreciate it. You can become a patron subscriber at Patreon.com slash Lasergraves. We've started a new feature. We're just about to record another one where we're doing these uh, mini reviews of modern movies, but we also do time travel episodes and all kinds of fun stuff. You can see the tier system over at Patreon, but thank you to everybody who is has joined. That means a lot to us. Yes. Until next episode, that's what we got for you. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>